Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 111.jm0414, certificate number 30296. Be here now. Have you ever done yoga? You know, I haven't, actually. Never. I'm getting to the age of what would probably be good for me. Like it's... I can't, you know, every other exercise at this point would probably kill me. <laughs> so it's time to become a, a white, uh, a hale, white-haired man stepping into his local yoga studio, of which every block in Seattle has three or four. Mindy does. She does. She has some friends who do yoga. She's been to a few retreats. She doesn't do like, I don't think she does like a weekly class or anything. But she's been to yoga retreats. Yes. But I think it was just some... Excuse to go hang out on Vashon with her girlfriends. Yeah, that happens a lot. She doesn't drink wine, so, I mean. What else is there? She's missing out on most of the fun of hanging out with middle-aged women. But but she does do yoga now. I don't drink wine, and I am missing out on the fun of hanging out with middle-aged women, I feel like for you, there would be other sources of fun in middle-aged women. Uh, Do you have any, have uh, have you ever practiced mindfulness? Do you meditate? Well, yes. As because I, uh, separate from praying? Well, I feel like if you're praying and you're not taking the time before or after to kind of like think about where you are and how your day has been and Wait a minute, what you, you would like to pray about. You pre-pray? You got to pre-pray. No. Oh. And then post-pray. Yeah, like I, an hour before church, I pull up with my truck, mm-hmm. we let the we let the bed down, I've got my smoker, got some brisket. <laughs> <laughs> pre-pray for an hour sure then we head into church yeah and then get it done or get her done <laughs> then we get her done yes and then you come out do some post praying i just feel like you know reciting a prayer is unlikely to do much for you if we assume that god exists he's not going to be impressed and if we assume that he doesn't 
uh, you have done nothing for your own mental state. Go on. I'm writing this down. Yeah, this is this is going to be my best-selling biography mm-hmm. when I change my name to, to Rom Ken. I, 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 I'm with you so far. So, you know, I feel like if you're actually going to be praying, like part of the, you know, presumably you believe in a higher power, but part of the benefit to you is just going to be having put your thoughts in order, having decided what it is you're thankful for, what it is you... Uh, you need like what is important to you you put way more thought into praying than i do into doing podcasts well (laughs) (laughs) yeah no maybe not if i if i do less than 10 minutes of prep i think you still have the lead yeah and then afterwards you know you want to you want to like listen to what the universe has to say to you so you have a cool down (laughs) then there's a cool down period (laughs) because if you like if you pray and just hop right into bed you're going to pull a hammy or something right 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 but if you're in a cool down, do you sometimes like get some last thoughts in there? Like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. that is kind of the problem. You don't want to wrap it up with the old amen and then be like, oh, no. Oh, you, you know, know what I. Because it's like when you're on the phone and then the second you get off the phone, and this is not relatable to anyone under 40, but you get off the phone and then you're like, oh, you know what I meant to uh, ask? Oh, I can't call him back right now. That's going to cost $15. Texting has solved this problem. Yeah. You can always text somebody with the small, unimportant thoughts that you wish to trouble them with. We were, uh, yesterday we were, what we were doing something. Oh, we were on a plane. We were in the middle of something. And my son texted to be like, Hey, I want a haircut. Will you treat me to a haircut? I think it would be nice if I got a little haircut from the fancy barber as a treat. Oh, and then uh, what a great opportunity for you. Yeah. I I was excited (laughs) to hear more. Neither Mindy or I replied right away, Mm -hmm. which led to him Texting again five minutes later, being like, "What? Didn't you get my? What's, what about this? Didn't you get my idea? text about the haircut? It's um, you know, it would be a it, great it, opportunity. It's kind of a timely manner. Yeah. Timely, timely matter. Want to get a treat here? And Mindy, as I explained, well, it's important to you, but it's not vital to us. So I was going to reply back later at my leisure, and then we both got a, a lecture from him about texting etiquette. Yeah, yeah this, it's nice. It's fun having teens. I was talking to a friend on the phone, Whoa. literally live on the phone, and as I said goodbye, I said. Hey, you know, say say goodbye to your ladies for me. And he was like, bye. And then I realized that I had misgendered his child, who is now, who has now uh, is a boy. Transition. And so I was able to, instead of letting that hang in the, oh, what have I done? I was able to text him immediately and say, I'm sorry, say, you know, say hello to, to your kids. Your kid and and spouse. And he wrote back and was like, thank you for remembering. Thank you for knowing. And I was like, ha, huh, it was so easy. Just, just a text. Because if it had been like the old days, you would have hung up and thought about that. Like, oh, oh no. I just said, love you. Bye to awkward. my boss. Oh, so awkward. So that's what, that's what God needs. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. You're if, like, if oh, you, BT dub. If you, if you say the amen and the line, you hear the click on the line. And then you're like, oh, but I didn't thank him for the beautiful autumn sky today. Mm. The faint smell of the smoke of burning leaves. Oh, why, why didn't I thank him for that? Oops. Then you would be able to just text 1414-Jehovah. One, <laughs> one, uh, to, to G-O-D, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, try to practice, I, try, I try to be more mindful. But, you know, phones make it hard. Oh, they do. We're joking about phones, but... Um, I was reading a book from a more secular friend, and he said, I want to practice gratitude, which is basically for people who want to thank God but have no one to thank. Yep. So they have to just be grateful, grateful. in general as an attribute of them rather than directed to any particular being. Which has 
introduced some real terribleness into our culture, <laughs> I have to say. Well, it's a little tricky. <laughs> Gratitude, is. really? It is. Gratitude for whom, then? It turns into a lot of self-flagellating guilt performance. <laughs> like, I'm so grateful for... All the thing, all the wealth that, I, and it's just like, shut up. We just, need to bring back monotheism just to have someone to have gratitude toward. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just you being grateful at things. Well, and the gratitude to a to a supreme being is is like so many things in religion, couched in fear. I'm right. I'm grateful. <laughs> I, to really, you. I promise. I liked the autumn smoke. <laughs> please, it was so good. Please do not smite me. <laughs> uh, and he was saying, like, he really. His phone has really gotten in the way of this. Like he, he was saying, like you know, I'm a I'm a secular Jewish guy, but I feel like I should just put my phone and like look around the coffee shop while I'm waiting for my coffee and be like, I'm grateful that it smells nice. I'm grateful for this like song I'm hearing oh, over the radio. A, but there's an app for that. You can have <laughs> you just put on your gratefulness app and sit <laughs> my, in the cafe. I have a kid that actually does use a mindfulness and meditation app. People recommend them to me all the time. Oh, you need to get this mindfulness app. And I'm like, I don't. I'm on my phone, so I don't have to be mindful about things, ma'am. It's really hard for me to do these practices, and you know, I think it's I think it's a great gift that you have, uh, like a, a codified practice that just puts order around it. They're, they're truly one of the great virtues of religion is that you cannot. I mean, you can, but you're less likely to slough. Yeah, it's that know? time of day. Like, oh, once a day, I should think about. Uh, uh, What's going on in my head and in the world? Gong. I think I was just very affected when John Lennon said, I don't believe in yoga. Oh. You know, when he's listing all in God, when he's listing all the things he doesn't believe in. Yeah. Weirdly, just, he puts yoga in there. He's kicking, he's kicking George in the knee at today, that moment. Today he would say Pilates, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I don't believe in Pelot- Peloton. You know, I, I, I think I've told the story before, but <clears throat> we had uh, we were having dinner at your house one time and you set up a prayer before the meal and it really affected my daughter because she loved the ceremony of it. And yeah, I think you asked her about, or you included her in some way. Kids crave religion. And she, so she Give kids said, the great taste of Judeo, Judeo Christianity. <laughs> That's right. She, the next time we had a meal was like, can we say a prayer? And I said, absolutely. And she has ever since then said a prayer before every meal. But you have to say what the prayer is. Well, so she thanks the... Uh, she, you, in case you haven't told this before She, on she the thanks the Almighty for this food and drink. She specifies every time who she is specifically thanking for the food and drink. So she thanks the, the grown-up at the table who made it mm-hmm. or the grown-up who ordered it, if it's takeout. And if a grown-up ordered or, or it, or HelloFresh.com, or HelloFresh, then she uh, then she will thank the restaurant that the that the adult ordered it from. Is she saying Grace and Denny's like a couple on their way home from Mega Church? No, we've never done it out. Okay, we don't. We don't. We, it's only at home. <clears throat> and then uh, she gets to the end and she thanks. Um, you know, she'll thank the chicken. She'll thank different. She never has th- thanked the chicken, but she thanks different people depending on what contribution they made. Like. Thank you, Aunt Suki, for chopping the vegetables. Thank you, you know, Daddy, for setting the table. She will thank herself if she's done an appreciable amount of work. And then it's, at the you end, you gotta love yourself if she you're does. gonna love others. And then she says, "This is the way." And then we all together say, "This is the way." And if it turns out that Star Wars was the one true religion, which it almost certainly is, for. For millions and millions of people, are you starting? Are you celebrating Life Day now every December? No, but we have started watching the new Obi Wan uh, show. I have not no spoilers, and it's it's fun. The, I enjoy it. 
The, I mean, it's not fun. It's dark the earliest somebody but, could hear this would be Austri- uh, August 2022. So. Oh, so it's probably already over and has been canceled for because terrible later episodes starring Gina Gershon. Well, just think how old you sound being like, hey, we're just now watching uh, the show from three months ago. I'm watching this show about the Star Trek. But it is just that little thing, that little bit of mindfulness before the meal has reintroduced into our lives at least one daily element where we perform spirituality, some, something ritualistic, even. We'd I mean, like, not even leaving the spirituality aside because we're so we're so secular that we're not even sure who we're thanking. But even doing something at the same time every yeah. day is is uh, is kind of it's it's important to us, or it's important. Yeah, it's become a ritual, and in that sense, pretty pretty groovy. I mean, there's so many Small upsides steps. to traditions. Yeah. Uh, well, and they always, the pediatrician always said to us uh, when, she, when she was little, like, kids really want structure. They, they really like things to be the same uh, every day. And I said, uh, Kids I, crave the great taste of routine. I said, I don't know what month it is. Like, I'm <laughs> like not really the one to look to for, for uh, stability and her mother has a job and so goes to work every day, but she doesn't want, she's, she wants to be in a different place every night. She doesn't want to have things be the same. And so our daughter has grown up never having things be the same. And she's a ball of anxiety. Interesting. So variety is not the spice of it. <clears throat> what can you do? She wakes up every day and she's like, will any adults be in the house? Will there be seven adults in the house? Will they be chanting? Will the house smell like incense? Bring back boredom. Will Ken be here praying? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it sounds like I'm a great source of anxiety in her life. If Everything you were, is. If you were to strip out all the anxiety and religion. No, that she. Uh, in fact, her life has a lot of regularity because everyone is here all the time. Post-pandemic, of course, no one, like everyone is, it is everything It has reinforced time. her idea that everyone revolves around here. Yeah. I'm a, I'm here, and look at all these people who have come here to to here, recognize me. Here they all are to recognize that fact <laughs> of my existence. But I have resisted yoga uh, for my whole adult life. It's been introduced to me many, many times in many, many guises. Many uh, friends who have told you how much it changed their lives. I'm that's sure. right, and it introduced at various times as a spiritual practice, as a, a workout routine, as a way of getting. Uh, uh, reducing pain. I have TM friends. You got people trying to sell you on transcendental meditation. So I have a good friend. I have a good friend who is, uh, who was raised in a TM commune. TM. TM. And, um, you may know her from Instagram as hookers and popcorn. The, uh, the exciting lifestyle motorcycle bloggeress. I'm afraid I don't, but I'm sure others will. I highly recommend you, you uh, look up her work. She's, uh, she is a fascinating rock and roll gal. Now, John, I like hookers. Yes. And I like popcorn. Yes. Can you suggest to me any accounts that will allow these two great tastes to taste great together? Let me point you to hookers and popcorn on Instagram. Uh, but she was raised as uh, in the transcendental meditation. Does that mean she world? rebels against it? No, she, she lived outside of it for a long time, but she has since re-embraced it as a, as a meaningful part of her her daily practice. The bummer about it is it appears to work. 
Yes. In fact, it's I a even quasi-religious made... practice you have to pay for, but also it works. Yeah. And I asked her like, what's your mantra? And she's like, can't tell you my mantra. What are you talking about? You've read the, you read the, if they the were, blog. If they were just giving away mantras, exactly. there'd be nobody in T- TM requires capitalism. Well, and I made, you know, back in my, back in my phase where I was making jokes about all my friends' religions, if you recall. <laughs> ah, good times. <laughs> I made a joke about yogic flying to her one time and she was like, that's not funny. And I was like, oh, I, did, I didn't mean it was funny. I mean, it just got a somewhat funny. I don't even know what that is. Yogis Yogi can fly? Flying? Well, yeah. If you're, like, if you're like in, psychologically or you're actually levitating? No, 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 flying. They, they like bounce. They bounce. Oh, wow. Good for them. And they kind of flap their, they're sitting uh, crisscross applesauce and they flap their knees and they levitate. I mean, this happens in Christianity as well. There's a flying nun. Right. But she's flapping her hat. Right. Um, I guess maybe nuns skipped leg day. No, no, you don't know what's going on under those long, those long blue robes. They just haven't tried. But you know, a friend of the show, Jason Finn, uh, who uh, appears regularly in uh, in my cosmology, Jason Finn does hot yoga. He's a fifty five year old man who is in yoga classes five times a week. He was just bragging to me the other day that he has a hot yoga tent at home now, where he goes into. A, his workout space that that produces the temperature you need. He goes into the tent and I don't know whether it's got an external heater or it's got a, some kind of a bowl of hot gruel in it, but, it, but it, hot yoga is like hot. It's, it's really hot. Super it's hot. Like sauna, and right? he's got a, he's got a, like a, like a tent, a sauna tent to do his hot yoga. Motion, Brr. motion is lotion. That's what my mother-in-law told me the other day. Brr. Motion is lotion. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think, what would you think to the proposition that yoga was a religious practice? Where do you go with that? Well, I believe that would be the, that's true to the historical roots. It's, uh, it's maybe possibly a problematic appropriation that Americans have turned it into a fitness, uh, an affluent fitness craze for, um, for white ladies. It, Aren't the, the roots are like, it's like quite direct, right? Uh, well, it's a practice, uh, right? Rather, Look, it's here's not one a, thing we can agree about yoga. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's a thing that is done by someone. But it's not, uh, yoga itself is not a religion, but it is a component of religion. Right, it's linked to. Yeah, like praying. Uh, and there are a lot of religions that, that's, that say om. I guess the analogy would be yoga is to whatever as mindfulness is to prayer. Right? Trying to get the secular benefits? You know, yoga as part of Hinduism is a very specific practice related to... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so when you practice mindfulness, it's like the, the, the secular humanist version of prayer, much as our modern fitness yoga is a secular humanist version of Hindu yoga. Well, it's funny because <clears throat> mindfulness, that would be a true analogy if mindfulness used all of the... Right, exactly. You were saying all the words of prayer. Of prayer. I'm still saying uh, a hail, uh, an Ave Maria, or a, uh, our Father, but the words all mean something different, right? Because it's just or about mean, the brain chemicals they produce. Exactly, mean nothing. It's just like having a mantra that is, or saying Om with no, and in in a way, yeah, that is. It, it's it's exactly like saying a Christian prayer or a Muslim prayer without having any. Sense of what it. the words mean, yeah, because it turns out just saying those words is has such a salutatory effect. Just like 
putting your body into lotus position has such a helpful effect. Yeah, it's not like as yoga has become popularized in the West that they've invented a bunch of new cool rock and roll positions. Is that true? I, I, I don't know how much of, like, if you were to tell me the hot yoga has no historical precedent and it was just invented by uh, a bunch of weirdos in Berkeley in 1981, I would believe it. But I think, I think for the most part, you're right. That's not true. Well, and there are a lot of different yogic traditions in, in, uh, right. They could be different and ancient. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or mid, mid ancient. But what we know is that there's not a ton of the yogic tradition that was invented in California in the 1970s. I, and I love that about it. Yeah. Although it was popularized and has become, I would say there, there's probably more yoga happening in the United States and maybe globally now than at any other time in history. I, the, as far as a pop, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of all the things California popularized in mm-hmm. the late 20th century. Surfing, Sushi, surf music, the uh, surf. Artichokes on pizza. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to turn on me there. Uh, I like artichoke hearts on pizza. Me too. Thank you, California. But I don't want olives, so leave them off. Oh, you and Mindy. You and Mindy both. Once again, me and Mindy. Mm. Mm. Destined to be mm-hmm. destined to be not eating olives <laughs> together for, for a first date. Downward dog. Ken, today's show is sponsored by Shopify. Now, I know Shopify is more than a store. I know it connects you with customers. It helps you drive sales, and it helps you manage your day-to-day. But, but tell me, what is Shopify? Yeah, it's not just your online storefront. Like This is all the resources that you need to run a small business, stuff that you know would have been beyond the grasp of a small business. Like explaining to me what my product is? Well, hopefully you already know that. <laughs> Helping me develop my service? Scaling your business, reaching customers online because it, it integrates with social media apps. Oh, that's cool. Um, synchronizing online and in-person sales. It's all the behind-the-scenes stuff, That's too. actually important, online and in-person sales. Detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, uh, and it grows with you no matter what your business is. I mean, am I too small to use Shopify? No, it's for upstarts, startups, established businesses alike. These are the kind of tools that used to be only for the big boys, but now businesses of any size can enjoy with Shopify. Can I like integrate it with other apps, third-party stuff? Yes, all that is super easy. They let you accept all major payment methods. They integrate with thousands of third-party apps. So no matter what you're doing, on-demand printing, accounting, you want chatbots, like it's all there. So what do I do? If I want to start uh, turning the power of Shopify to benefit me and my products. If you want to join the over 2 million businesses powered by Shopify, whether first sale or full scale, go to shopify.com slash omnibus. That's all lowercase omnibus. For a free 14-day trial, then you'll get full access to the whole Shopify suite of features. So you're saying if I go to Shopify today and type in Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash omnibus lowercase right now, I'll get a free 14-day trial? Yes. Start growing your business today with Shopify. Shopify.com slash lowercase omnibus. When you were mentioning how yoga did not come from California in the 80s, I assumed there was a, a, a converse of this coming up in your narrative. Yeah. Well, yoga um, 
the popularization of yoga and of Hindu spiritualism and of Buddhism in the West. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit, and it's and it's happened over the course of uh, many many years, right? I mean, Hinduism in, and Buddhism introduced in, largely in, the last sixty years, but but the ideas introduced into the into what the Western European canon during the colonial era, not just the ideas, but the practices. Although it was uncommon, I think, among British colonizers that they became Hindu. No, uh, they, they would love the art and stuff. Yeah, but. and and uh, and it's kind of funny that none of those pith-helmeted guys came back with yoga. Uh, you know, you could see. I mean, they were like, check out this wise poetry. Wise poetry, right? And, but this and, was not a time when you could say, you know, what's better than Christianity. <laughs> When you think about it, but even as an exercise, you know, you would you would think there uh, there is an alternate history where some Victorian yeah. uh, general Richard, Richard Francis Burton writes a book on yoga, yeah, and comes back and it becomes the it becomes the rage among uh, Victorians, yeah, and and weirdly it didn't happen. It really took the Beatles uh, to they had to have one bad week <laughs> and bad food, and we got Dear Prudence and uh, and yoga classes out of it. But interestingly. As in all things in the second half of the 20th century, as and as in all topics on omnibus, at least not all, if not all topics, at least half of the topics on omnibus, the the half that appear on Thursdays. <laughs> this uh, this story begins with LSD, <laughs> like most omnibus. <laughs> not it, it doesn't mean with you dropping LSD. Oh no! I meant me dropping LSD. Okay, but uh, yeah, I mean LSD is at that the that would root. explain a lot so far about the direction this this entry has taken. <laughs> Everything we've recorded today, this being the fourth episode we've recorded today, mm, um, a little peek behind the curtain. Yeah, we are really, really baked. <laughs> <laughs> on life, we're high on life. We're high on life. We talked. Uh, how, how many shows have we done about psychedelia? Oof. We did one about the Army's LSD stuff, the CIA's MK Ultra, Right. Uh, Popular among conspiracy theorists. I don't think we've ever done a Mushrooms show. Hmm. Well, maybe the Mushrooms... We talked about, you know, counterculture oh, era. so much. And that's what this is going to be. More counterculture. More boomer content. Tolkien, graffiti, uh, boomer... Uh, 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 Beatles graffiti. You know, lately you've been doing a bunch of Zoomer shows and I'm still stuck in my boomer rut. Well, now that I host a, a game show for the elderly, I <laughs> I really need to broaden my base. <laughs> well, if if I can refer back to the MK Ultra um show for just a second. If you think about um the the history of LSD, you know, and and I and I told this story in that episode, so I'm just going to tell it again. We Previously on Omnibus. <laughs> um, you know, LSD was discovered in, by, a, by a Swiss scientist before the war. It didn't really, uh, he didn't recognize that it was a, 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 a psychoactive drug until he accidentally dosed himself. That's what I always do when I discover a new kind of fungus in my rye. I'm like, well, let me... Let me concentrate it and take a hit. It's just like a Spider-Man origin story. He was walking <laughs> across the lab. He uh, he got bit by a by, by a radioactive ergot, <laughs> and uh, and he tripped and 
and everybody was excited about it as the word got out. It was a popular uh, thing to to monkey around with if you were an Ivy Leaguer, if you were a, a psychologist, because as we know, during that period, the mid-century, psychology was also all the rage, fairly new discipline at the time, and one that seemed to be able to maybe unlock some of the 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 mysteries of life and of living. Some of the appeal that mysticism and Eastern religion has today. Also, uh, uh, this would, this would have been an era where, uh, the Western mind was being kind of blown apart by access to global religions and traditions. And, and, uh, with the end of a, or the beginning of an end to a kind of colonialist mentality, um, a new approach to thinking about world traditions and world religions as not just um, other people's bad practice. Dangerous heathenism. To be supplanted with the Church of England, but but something where maybe there's, there's real wisdom to be found there. Mm-hmm. Um, the MKUltra program was one of the first attempts to use, uh, to, to uh, not use, was one of the first attempts to see what a wide distribution of people's reactions to psychedelic experiences would be, you know, and whether or not this was a, um, the uh, psychedelic experience would be transformative. Unfortunately, MK ultra was doing it without people's consent <laughs> and doing it as a method of trying to, uh, turn them into, well, to, to see if LSD could be a, a, an interrogation drug, to see How many it. Manchurian candidates can we make? Exactly, fungus? a Manchurian candidate drug. A lot of the the tropes of bad CIA experiments, um, where there's a guy in a white lab coat and another guy in a in a uh, seersucker suit, and they're looking at somebody through one way glass. Um, it really is just basically exactly what happened during MK Ultra. They they literally did this. And I think I described somewhat Operation Midnight Climax, which was MK Ultra's. Uh, they had a safe house in San Francisco, where they hired prostitutes, taught them some like techniques of interrogation, and then the prostitutes would bring their johns back to this special room that had one-way glass and dose them secretly dose them, have sex with them, and then lay in bed with them after while they start to trip, having never, you know, no experience, what, what's happening to me, and then, like, practice interrogating them. You know what I hate about this is the the funny CIA guy who was like, let's call it Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> Just some straight-laced no. doofus in horn room glasses thinking he's funny. What's hilarious is that this program lasted for 10 years. All on the same guy. Ten years. He kept going back, and, and one he's guy, like, well, he's it's like, Friday night. I had a great time last time. Can we talk more? I feel like you understand me so well. One of the amazing things, I don't think I mentioned this in the in the uh, the MK Ultra episode, but I discovered it in this, just kind of looking around during this research. After they exposed MK Ultra uh, during the 70s, they found accounting for 52,000... $100 bills <laughs> that they were paying 
the prostitutes with $100 bills and they went through 52,000, not $52,000, 52,000 sessions, $100 bills got disseminated into San Francisco under underground subculture by the CIA. Just dosing Johns, man. The government knows that's how you pay a prostitute. That's right. Here, with a hundred dollar bill, hundred bucks. That's what that's what we usually do at home. So we'll do that in the lab as well. But you know, they claimed to have lost all records. We have no idea. What are the odds? How many people got dosed in the fifties by the CIA in the form of, and they were having sex, and there were there were scientists watching them through the window. All scientists, scientists, and CIA. All, all the great clinical knowledge that God. we could have had from this amazing study just God. gone like tears and rain. It. It's like the it's like the anti. I mean, you know, you don't want to use the the results of any kind of Mengele ex, uh, experiments, but boy, I'd really love to read the binders and binders of. Uh, <clears throat> well, this this had, this, had, this had victims too. I mean, we can maybe we can presume the sex workers were willing participants and hopefully weren't being pressured, but. Well, the Johns had not given affirmative consent. No, they had not, and and we don't know. You know, they're, they're, I'm sure there are some. They're, yeah, some there of are men in their 70s and 80s walking around right now who are still like, I I, I swear to you, it happened. There were there were orbs floating all around the room. Where was but, this Bay Area? Yeah, Bay Area. Hmm. I mean, you you meet those people down yeah, there. Yeah, I'm trying to think who the most likely. <laughs> <laughs> who are the who are the most famous eighty year old men of Northern California, who were probably Nancy yeah, Pelosi's husband or something? All in the Grateful Dead, or they were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, experimenting with psychedelics uh, became more of a kind of mainstream and briefly acceptable uh, genre of, of like psychological ther- experimentation. Uh... Well, it was. The the idea of, of using psychedelics as a therapy actually predated um, using psychedelics as a as a government uh, manipulation tool. Yeah, there was a there, nice. there was a Canadian psychiatrist uh, named Humphrey Osmond who was he's the guy that actually coined the word psychedelic, hmm. and he was interested in using uh, psychedelic experiments as part of a. Um, uh, like a treatment for alcoholism, he actually he actually gave LSD to Bill W. At one point, does Although, it work? You can see why they kicked him out of the Osmonds. Yeah, if he's doing, he was he was the oldest Osmond real, brother, real black sheep. <laughs> so does it work? You, you could, I mean, today with what we know about microdosing, it seems like it's not crazy that that would. Well, a lot of the experiments with with psychedelics as a treatment program. Um, I mean, it's been used for so many different, in so many ways to try to break people out of uh, bad habits, not just negative, like, not just habits like um, drug addiction, but habits of the mind. Um, And Humphrey Osmond and Aldous Huxley actually had a relationship, and Osmond... Like a relationship, relationship? Not a relationship, relationship, but a professional one. I mean, as far as I know, who knows? Maybe they were. Maybe they smooched. He can open my doors of perception anytime. But but um, Huxley, you know, asked to go on a on a psychedelic journey and wrote Doors of Perception in 1954, describing his experience of 
taking drugs. And that was, you know, that book. Because the counterculture um, stigma wasn't there yet, you have all these funny stories of, here's Cary Grant dropping acid (laughs) because he's a a wealthy 60-year-old man who wants to get to know himself better. Of course he is. And my mom and dad uh, signed up for acid tests. I'm sure I I talked about this in the MKL. I don't know if I remember. Um, It was, as my mom said, it was just what, you know, what smart middle-class people were doing in 1959. And it was famously um, then became a national cause celeb when Timothy Leary and his research partner, Richard Alpert, started doing LSD experiments at Harvard. And initially, you know, um, they ran experiments somewhat with – sort of clinical trial uh, methodology um, where they would give, they, there would be a control group. Um, they would, it would, it would be within kind of. I'd be it, the control group. It had the trap. Give, well, give me fake ass and I'll talk about my feelings. The thing is you can't choose whether you're in the control group or not. Um, they had a, one of their early, um, one of their early experiments happened at um, the Marsh Chapel at Boston University, where they took twenty theological students. What would you divinity school students yeah. from Andover Newton Theological School? They took twenty divinity students. They gave ten of them just a placebo of niacin that kind of made them feel hot and flushed, so that. They felt like. Does niacin make you feel hot and oh, flush? Oh, yeah. You get like a niacin flush. Your face gets red. I'm not taking enough Flintstone like, vitamins. Ah, ah, vitamin B3. And then the other 10 got 30 milligrams of psilocybin <laughs> or psilocybin, depending on who you, depending on what hippie you ask. It's never psilocybin. Never psilocybin, although that's what it should be. Only the first eye. Do you have the option? Psilocybin, psilocybin. Yeah. Why isn't it? Why isn't it? I feel like you're tripping right now. Whoa. Just pronouncing the word. Dude. Anyway, they took these 20 uh, Divinity School students and they took them to Good Friday service at the Marsh Chapel at Boston University. That'll that'll (laughs) cure you of Catholicism for life. And sat them down and said, okay, you guys, you know, like, get with God. And uh, the results were profound. Um, the, uh, I think nine of the 10 divinity students had, a, had a real profound religious experience where they felt, um, you know, and these were religious students. They weren't just noobs. Yeah. Um, and they felt a tremendous, uh, like life changing, um, overwhelmingly positive experience. You got to hand it to Christianity for, um, for getting so much of the world's religious mindshare without ever using ayahuasca or anything. Like, yeah, you well, know, I you mean, know, it's a lot of ergot other got re- on their, get on their beer. Maybe accidentally, <laughs> but you know, the other religions that are dosing you with peyote, like Christianity can give you that high with just with some guitar music, man. And this, uh, this, I mean, it was a, it was a thing that, that, um, that, you know, had lasting influence on the, on the, the kids in the experiment, one of them had a negative experience, but it was not, 
incompatible with Christianity. Uh, they had to shoot him with Thorazine because he ran out of the church announcing the return of the Messiah. Well, that is compatible with Christianity if, in fact, the Messiah has not returned. That's only compatible with Christianity if you you were vindicated. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, right. Right. If the Messiah returned. If the Messiah had returned that day, then yeah, yeah, he would I have see. been vindicated. I see, I see, I see. He just, now he just seems like a bit of a false prophet. Get that guy some Thorazine. Well, or if they had burned him at the stake, then he could have been, <laughs> you know, martyred for it. But that that was out of fashion at the time. You can't really burn him at the stake when you're the one who dosed him. But so, you know, Leary and Alpert were doing, uh, were, you know, they, they, they started off, and this is, I guess, a good question when it comes to kind of like how much the experimenter is allowed to be a member of the experiment or a participant in the experiment. And, and a lot of what ended up discrediting these characters was that they also wanted to trip with the students who were experimenting or who were the subjects (laughs) of the experiment. This looks like a good time. Why are we holding a clipboard? And, you know, and, and, and part of the, part of the experience, the enlightening experience of taking LSD is that you start to see through or break down the hierarchical nature of the experiment, experimenter (laughs) dichotomy (laughs) And you want That's precisely why the experimenter must not be dropping acid in this scenario. Yeah, it was He it, has to be the one being like, nope, sorry, I'm just gonna take notes here. Like they took this they took this experiment. So they had the their group was called the Harvard Psilocybin Project. Um and it was in within the Harvard Center for You done with HPP? <laughs> you know me. Uh within the Harvard Center for Research and Personality. And they then took an experiment to the Concord prison in Concord, Massachusetts. I hope they got consent. Where they got 32 prisoners to uh, to trip with them and have an encounter session, you know, like a, like a, a group therapy. Yeah. Um, Leary and Albert also dosed in order to uh, dispel the fear that comes with that, that, that might inhibit the prisoners from speaking honestly and to give a shared sense of equality and, and, uh, experience with them. So if you can imagine, they're all in there tripping together. The problem being the problem they're trying to solve for is recidivism, right? 64% of people in prison reoffend. Um, and, and, in, and what does it drop to if you in, give them a psychedelic? In the immediate aftermath, you know, they claimed success in this experiment because only 25% of the, uh, of the, the members of the, or the, of the prisoners that, that took psilocybin, uh, only 25% returned and, and uh, the majority of those were because they had done a parole violation rather than like committed a new crime. Um, over time... Over the years, I don't think there's any appreciable difference between the ones. It is very hard to do crimes when you're tripping. I mean, if if you drop enough acid, that'll keep you from knocking over an armored truck. If you're tripping, you're unlikely to commit a crime. Or at least do it successfully. Or, Or the crimes you're going to commit tripping are crimes where you're bumming people out. By not, walking around being trippy. That's not a crime. I'm it's, just saying my, mail f- check fraud's a little harder. Exactly. <laughs> and these numbers are kind of <laughs> running together. 
Um, they, uh, they continued to give LSD to people, uh, and, and I think were, were vindicated or at least validated by the fact that 95% of the people that were, that participated in these programs, although, uh, only 75% of the, of people reported that they had a pleasant experience, 95% said that that their lives had been changed for the better. Hmm. And these are, uh, these weren't just randomly selected people, obviously. I mean, they're, they're doing these experiments in Boston at Harvard. Um, they were, if not cherry picked, certainly not. And, and, and part of the, part of what got them in trouble is that they were giving drugs to undergraduates. They were, they were, I mean, eventually. Were there any laws around. controlling these things or was, it was just bad psychiatric practice? What's interesting is that at the time. Or psychological, not psychiatric. Uh, mescaline and peyote, the two kind of na- native natural forms of these drugs were already illegal. But LSD and the refined psilocybin from mushrooms uh, weren't illegal until 68. So no, it was, pra- it was uh, they got in trouble with. The Harvard Center for Research in Personality and the and the psychologists who were saying this is bad. You're this is bad. You're you're doing. Uh, you're di- you're well. There's very specific guidelines for running a study like this. Yeah, and there was a big meeting. They had a big meeting at Harvard in 1962 that turned into a kind of a uh, like a show trial of of Leary and Alpert. They were denounced uh, in the Harvard Crimson. And eventually the state of Massachusetts said that there needed to be a sober physician present during these experiments. I always hate to say this, but I'm with the state of Massachusetts. Yeah, I know. Once again, Massachusetts. uh, And by 1963, Richard Alpert was fired. He and Leary went to Mexico briefly and started a, um, tried to take their LSD experiments to Mexico to a town called Zihut. They went to Zihatanejo and started the Zihatanejo project. Is the letter Z pronounced Z in Spanish? In, in, in Mexico? In old Mexico? I can only assume so. I think yeah. you're good. Zihatanejo. How else would you say Z? X, X is tricky. Yeah. Right. Q is tricky in Asia. Z is just a Z. So, John, when you run a small business. Yes, which I do. The best and the worst part of that is you, you're going to have employees. You don't have employees. The business has employees, but they're my employees. I'm just saying, you. does your business have employees? Me, personally? Yeah. Uh, Do you have an ostler and a washerwoman? Currently, I don't. I've run a business, though, that had that had a few employees. So with, I barely paid them. <laughs> well, this is going to be relevant to you. Listen, <laughs> I paid them in, in experience. You paid, I paid them, them in, in... You paid them in vibes. I did. I paid them in joy. When you have employees, you get into interesting situations. You know, some, you get complained because someone thinks somebody else on their team smells weird. Yeah. And if you had a big business, you would hand that over to your HR department. But if you have a small business. Oh, it's one of the things that seems the scariest about running a small business is how to deal with all the HR. All stuff. the HR. What you do in that case is you talk to Bambi. Bambi oh. gives you access to your own dedicated HR manager for just $99 a month. Really? So you don't you don't have to hire an HR department. So you outsource HR. Oh, what a great idea. Yeah, they're available by phone, email, real-time chat. So no matter what 
an HR department would do onboardings, terminations, you know, every, all that stuff runs smoothly and your business stays compliant with all the stuff HR would be in charge of. But now uh, uh, an HR department or an HR manager uh, would be really expensive to hire. Yeah. Like that could cost you 80 grand a year or you could pay $99 a month on Bambi. Is that all $99 a month? They've got a tool called HR Autopilot that helps you automate a lot of the stuff, the policy and training and feedback stuff that an HR department would do. And they're dedicated HR managers. The person you're talking to is always a US-based person who's specifically dedicated to your business. So he's got the expertise you will need. Are they responsive? It would seem like this would be a thing where something would come up and you'd need help right away. Yes. Phone, email, real-time chat. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Are they willing to deal with some of the trickier stuff in HR? It would seem like there's some really hot button issues involved. Yeah, even a serious issue like sexual harassment. Like if if you've got policy questions about how your business should deal with that, your HR manager at Bambi is here for you. Wow. So you're saying go to Bambi.com slash omnibus right now. Well, I didn't say that, but I'm going to now. It's spelled Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash omnibus. Bambi.com slash omnibus. That's Bambi.com slash omnibus. The Mexican government didn't like them being down there being hippies and, and booted them out. And eventually they ended up, they, um, they took over an estate owned by the Hitchcock family who were descendants of the Mellon uh, Trust. And they turned it into the their- Mellon, Oh, Andrew Mellon. Andrew Mellon. I was, I was imagining Big Cantaloupe. Oh, yeah. They're okay. Gotcha. Part of, the, part of the, uh, the Green Mellon Trust. And they, uh, they turned it into their like hippie um, experimental headquarters, uh, which they called Millbrook. And from 63 to 68, Millbrook was their, their uh, locale where they were doing, you know, increasingly it was- Where is this again? It's in Millbrook in New York. So yet another cult in upstate New York? Yep, that's right. That's where, this one being- That's where you go when you get kicked out of Zawatanejo. The, the, the problem- of course, was that as they got further and further away from Harvard and further away from the state of Massachusetts telling them that they needed to have a doctor present, it turned more and more into a party. A party. And um, although weirdly, they say that Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters showed up at Millbrook in their, in their bus and they weren't able to see Timothy Leary. Which strikes me as... Because he had discovered invisibility? No, I believe he was like, let them wait in the lobby. I mean, I don't know. I've, I have, <laughs> oh, they couldn't get in to see him. I haven't. It seemed like every Hells Angel in the country got in to see him. You knew, I to, I'm sure I told you that Timothy Leary performed the wedding, wedding. At, not my wedding, but my, uh, my second cousin's wedding. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah my, Do you know him or would he just do weddings and bar mitzvahs? No, she, uh, my cousin's uh, name was Mary Ellen Rochester, and she was marrying uh, her her husband, her second husband, um, the uh, the famous radical Catholic priest Bill Dubay, <laughs> and Bill Dubay, and she were super tight with Timothy Leary, and they all lived together, I think at that time, this would have been in 1970, they lived in Idlewild in California. I don't know, man. 
I, wow. I haven't taken enough LSD to tell this story properly. I met T- Timothy Leary. He, uh, Did you get him to perform any religious rites? No, he came to Gonzaga to do a debate with G. Gordon Liddy <laughs> in 1987. They were on tour together debating, Let them fight. debating legalization of drug policy. G. Gordon Liddy, you know, the... It would be funny if those two became across the they, aisle friends they and were, wrote, a, wrote a book about they it. They were great bros. Uh, and and they had a wonderful time hanging out, I guess, and like high five and I can't guys. tell who that speaks highly for. It was a it was an earlier time when you could be a rat eating like CIA uh no good Nick, Nixon era no good Nick, or a tripendicular. So, so it's nearly it's nearly a certainty that G. Gordon Liddy dropped ass with no, Timothy Leary. No, I asked him directly at the event. Well, he would have to. It's have k- you ever smoked marijuana? It's and he k-fabe. was like, "Never." It's kayfabe. He has to say that. No, I don't think so. I so think you, you, of the two of us, you're the only one that's ever asked G. Gordon Liddy if he smoked marijuana. Of the two of us, yeah. But, and I think I've missed my chance. Isn't he dead? The thing is that you and I sit here every week. You've never taken LSD, and yet, if someone were to say, "Oh, then that means Ken and John did a podcast together." Well, that surely means that Ken has taken LSD because John is such a notorious acid head. Are you, are you lacing my Diet Dr. Peppers? Anyway, this all brings us to uh, the journey of Richard Alpert. At long last. Uh, Richard was born, Richard was born uh, kind of a secular Jewish kid in 1931. Um, he sort of described his family as one that was, you know, that was politically Jewish, but not religious or spiritual at all. He got his BA in psychology. That's the word I'm looking for. I write it down as psych. And then in, in the course of an episode like this, I say psychedelic. I say psychology. I say, you say psychology. I say psych. And then pull away my soda. I forget what I'm talking about. He had a BA in psych from Tufts. And then he got his PhD from Stanford in 57 and he ended up at Harvard and, you know, fell in with Timothy Leary because his mentor from Stanford and before was a guy that was also part of this, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a big era in psychedelia and and psychology, both psychology and and psychedelia. Right. Two great tastes that taste great together. What's funny is that, that, um, both hallucination and hallucinogen and psychedelia are somewhat pejorative terms. Oh, that is are, that true? In yeah. the community, are you not supposed to say that? No, they're both... Uh, oh, they began as... Yeah, psych, uh, both of them like are... Like are, uh, are They're from terms that are based in an idea of, of um, insanity, right? Like uh, psychosis, hallucinogen it suggests a kind of madness. Yeah. And uh, Humphrey Osmond, you know, a lot of his early, the thing that got him really interested in psychedelics at first was that he thought that it offered insight into schizophrenia because if you were tripping, you sounded to him like a schizophrenic and he felt like it was maybe the first time that it was suggested that schizophrenia wasn't a spiritual malady, but it was a matter of brain chemistry. If you mm. could duplicate, if you could give somebody a drug and make them sound schizophrenic. Without a demon. 
yeah now how how difficult then is it to to reverse engineer it and discover that schizophrenia is just a a, a matter of a chemical process um but the but his suggestion was that that the drugs be called that the drugs be called entheogens mm, what's the root um which it would be greek for full of god enthusiasm <laughs> Look, we're all full of God enthusiasm. It doesn't mean we're dropping acid. They're not. We're not. We're not like insane. We're entheogenic. I like it, and I'm going to start using it. Entheogens, and when people are like, "Say what?" Just be like, "Oh, you may know them as psychedelic drugs." Um. So during this period, where they're kind of running around, throwing down. Um, throwing down their psychedelic test parties and being chased out of Mexico and so forth. Um, there's also in the air quite a bit of interest and, and experimentation with Eastern religion and philosophy. And, you know, the Beatles of course made it, made the headlines. Uh, and Albert goes to India to study with a Hindu guru by the name of Neem Karoli Baba. And in the, in the experience of being there, he, he understands that taking these psychedelics has put him on a path to actually pursuing Hindu enlightenment. And he's moved away from the science of the mind. It's not about, it's not about uh, tripping. It's about the big trip, if you know what I mean. Uh, I don't. Death? No. Well, later. But, you know, climbing the, the ladder. Flight, a plane to India? <laughs> Is that the big trip? Climbing the ladder of enlightenment to, uh, you know. The to, trip between here and, and God. Yeah, to meet Vishnu <laughs> all along the road. And uh, Neem Karoli Baba christens him. Baba Ram Das. Is that typical to get a new a new uh, name, a Hindi name? I think if you have decided that you are a servant of Rama, um, or maybe if you're recognized as a servant of Rama, I don't know. I've never been given a Hindu name. Uh, nobody's ever given me a mantra either. Baba just means father, right? It's some kind of uh, honorific. Yeah, or father or servant, um, or is Das the servant? Hmm. Oh, because they said it meant servant, servant of servant. Of I think Rama. Das means servant. Das. So yeah. Baba, Baba is. So maybe. Oh, well. So initially, it would have just been Ram Das, mm-hmm. right? Was his was the the name that was given to him, servant of of Ram, and the Baba came later after he was. More established. What is Rami? He's a servant of Ram Emmanuel? No, Rama, which is the seventh avatar of Vishnu. I see. So it's, you know, we would say servant of God, but it's just to them a different God. Exactly. Different color God. He's blue. So he comes back from uh, from studying in India and he writes a book called Be Here Now. And Be Here Now, my first exposure to it, it was given to me in the early 80s by some like hippie kid I knew that went to the alternative school 
who handed me this book that, that it felt like it had been published. You know, that paper that you used to, um, you could, you could like take a leaf and put it between two pieces of blue paper and it would make a, yeah like an impression of the leaf. What was that paper called? Car- carbon uh, paper? It, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't the same as carbon paper. It was something else that you could, some crazy kind of cardboardy colored paper. The book itself, it had a mandala on the cover and inside it was, I mean, it was basically like an LSD trip in the form of a book. It had, it had many things not in common with books. Yeah. This, it, it's unaccountable that this is a book and yet here it is. It, it, um, it, it felt very, uh, contraband almost. Um, the, yeah. the mandala did not look like, uh, uh, off model. <laughs> it has the word remember on all four sides and inside each page kind of looked like a, like a poster or handbill that you would see advertising, um, it was it was hard to distinguish it from something that you that might be connected to a Ouija board, maybe or <laughs> maybe a vaudeville poster. Suggest you know, like you know, you know the little the pointing finger that you would see in Victorian posters that yeah. would say like "Over here for the benefit of Mister Kite." Exactly. Pointing, pointing finger. They had that kind of iconography <laughs> in the book, like like uh, cut and paste kind of. And then it sounds uh, like you're not going to get the spiritual message here because you're so concerned with the typography. Like if we could just get Ram Dass a, a, you know, get him up to speed on a good desktop publishing software. Well, but then every page would have, in addition to all the art that was on it, I mean, it, it has four different sections. Um, first section is like an autobiographical description of Alpert's journey to become Ram Dass. Um, but it's written in a in the, an affirmative style, you know, like I am on the path, and and you can be too. And then the second section, which is most of the book, is um, like each page has a, an aphorism or something like. Um, or a series of aphorisms like later never exists. It's true. Think about that. I've never, I've, I've lived through so many moments and none of them were later. I keep thinking it's coming and it's not. It's never there. It's always now. I can't have it now, but later it will be beautiful, but nothing happened to any of it, man. Does it say man? There, it does say man. See, I'm not sure that comes straight out of the piranhas or whatever. Well, but it's, you know, it's here for, it's here for us to, um, to, uh, this isn't, he's not taking it from the ancient scripture. He's really channeling it. But he's talking to you now. He's talking to you. And it seems like the moral of it seems to be largely what we would take from the title, you know, kind of the, the modern awareness that that the present isn't what's important and the only part of your life that can be controlled and that obsessing about the past or the future just leads to unhappiness because they can't be changed. Is that, is that, is that the focus? I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to trivialize his teachings, but. 
Well, it um, that is the focus. And be here now became a, a watchword or a byword in the culture that that really it's a it's the perfect title for the book because what more is there to say? Be here now. I mean, George Harrison wrote a song called "Be Here Now," but it became a it became a short form of a whole way of thinking. And each one of the pages, which are you know, each one is a kind of little art. Uh, piece, they all deliver you that ultimate message. Um, and it seems compatible with, you know, pretty much any school of thought or religion. I mean, Jesus said, don't worry about the morrow. You know, every day has got enough problems to take care of itself. But it doesn't seem like anyone, you, what would you even disagree with about be here now? I've never been any place but here and never at any time, but now. There is nothing to disagree with about be here now. Um, when they had it in Buckaroo Banzai, when they said, wherever you go, there you are. Isn't that in Buckaroo Banzai? Wherever you go, there you are. I agreed with it then. A lot of it is written in a kind of hippie patois, though, where, you know, you'll read along and it's like, you can almost hear the, you can almost hear people dripping their deadlocks, dreadlocks into their tea. This is, like, this is off-putting to you? You know, watch your speech, watch your thought, watch your calmness, get your calm center going, live your life in such a way as to get yourself straight, to get free of attachment that just keeps sucking you in all the time. And then like lots of little flowers and stamps and, you know, written in a spiral. I don't even have a font that has all those things. It, it, um, it, it, it had an effect on me, not because... Uh, it made me be here now. It seems like you found it off-putting. It was my exposure to uh, hippie culture, like the what 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 felt what I think was intended to be the light and hopeful side of hippie culture, but what looked to me like the dark, sinister underbelly of hippie culture, because I did not find it. Um, I did not find these mantras or these uh, epigrams to be clarifying or liberating. They seemed, uh, they seemed like rambling and. I mean, some religious maxims are meant to be puzzling. You're supposed to think about a Zen koan, but, but, but you didn't even think it rose to that. No, they, they felt, they felt like somebody who was tripping, trying to be, profound at the time you'd read it had you listened to people talking who had been tripping yeah and maybe that was the problem by by the t point by 1982 when someone when i first was handed this book as though like It'll change hey, your life yeah this is going to change your life i'd That's, already that happened to you at the first shins record <laughs> i'd already been uh i'd already been accosted in airports by um hari krishna's enough at that point in my life to feel somewhat suspicious when confronted with Eastern mysticism or particularly the suggestion that it was going to change my life. Problematic. Um, but Ram Das had a huge hit on his hands with be here. Now it sold over 2 million copies and it became a, like a foundational document in American counterculture. And in a way it was presented as like a manual for how you could become a yogi 
yourself through, um, you know, it was basically like a, uh, Yogi for uh, an idiot's guide to, to being a Yogi. To become a Yogi, does that imply you're a teacher to others? It's not, or is just, does that just anybody who's following a yogic practice? I think initially following a yogic practice and then ultimately being a teacher to others. Hmm. Um, and what we're talking about now is not yoga as an exercise sure. regimen, but to be a yogi as a practitioner of yoga, which is, which is a, a religious practice, thought, yeah. right? Uh, or or a, a practice of yogic philosophy. Now, I know there are going to be people who write us who are much better versed in yoga. I would hope so. If you and I are the most knowledgeable people about yoga, uh, the movement is in trouble. And and yoga, both as a as an exercise regimen, and and almost certainly there will be people who are familiar with it as a religious practice, and have lots to say about it. Uh, so please, if you're listening and want to know more, go to our Facebook page and listen to what the futurelings <laughs> have to say about it. Uh, ultimately, Ram Das, um, he went up to Taos and started a the Lama Foundation. Um, and then in the 80s, got very interested in the art of dying. And started a like batik, no, like actually death, like death. Oh, okay. Um, and started a uh, a center for mindful dying called the Dying Center in New Mexico, in Santa Fe. Must be hard to market the Dying Center. Well, it, it was a, uh, it was, and I think is, uh, like a thing that people want to. We we've talked about it on the show, right? Uh. Like dying in a meaningful way is something people still seek to do. And it does feel like something you want some guidance around. Um, the Dying Center was the first place in the USA where you could go to die consciously. So not just die in a hospital, not just die alone in, a, in your apartment, but like I, I'm ready to die. And I'm going to go to the dying center. And the implication is you want to get every, you, you don't want to miss a minute of it. So, of the dying? So much of the modern Western treatment of death would be to uh, dull the related sensations and anxieties. Right. But that you're, they're missing out. You should really be sucking the marrow out of death. Suck the marrow out of death. Yeah, that, I, I'm, I don't know why they didn't. I'm trying to put think of all, on, the, on all the pages. Put that on the side of the van. I don't remember the mandala that said "suck the marrow out of death," but that that's that was the mentality. Ramdas gave all of the royalties from his from the sale of "Be Here Now" uh, to his various foundations, and then uh, you, you would you would normally say tragically, but in 1997 he had a stroke that gave him aphasia. He was, you know, he lost the ability to. He um, couldn't understand a process words. Uh, right? Yeah, it's, communicate it's verbal thing. But he realized in the in the course of trying to recuperate from his stroke that he could only interpret it also as a as a gift, mm. uh, like a like a a grace, 
to have experienced this stroke and have to recover from it. And um, he lived for the rest of his life on Maui. And, um, and well, can, that, that I identify with. Yes, me too. Me too. And then, uh, and then wrote a memoir about his experience facing death as someone who had, you know, gone through the, these uh, multitude of, of, um, transformations over the course of his life. Mm-hmm. Here's the next one. He was 88 when he died and, and so did not, you know, I, I always want from these alternative religion characters. I want one of them to not die or to live forever or to fly directly to heaven. Just to, just to demonstrate at some point, like one of these is better. One of these practices is better than the other. It would be a real seal of approval. If yeah. like I'm, I'm, I'm practicing, uh, some kind of, uh, meditation and i'm 208 exactly right if you if you're like i'm a vegetarian and and i am being here now and yeah i'm 200 years old so unfortunately but it seems like cemetery is just full of dead vegetarians pretty much everyone dies around 88 and the ones that live to be 105 are all chain smokers they're all mystified by it yeah i don't know and many of them are like take you know please take take me now Kill me now. Kill me now, please. Let me take me to the dying center. Get me there. He also um he also was one of the the first very public bisexuals. Hmm. The first person that not the first person, but like someone who by here now. <laughs> someone who who was, you know, who was prominently um not advocating for, but like acknowledging bisexuality as a visible. Yeah. As a, as a, uh, it does seem like he's very open to new experiences. I'll tell that about, let's say that about the guy. Well, not anymore. (laughs) Fair enough. And that concludes be here now. Entry one, one dot JM zero four one four certificate number three zero two nine six in the omnibus. Uh, if you're interested in starting a religion, uh, you can find our own wisdom at Omnibus Project or at Ken Jennings or at John Roderick on social media. Send us your yoga expertise to the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Uh, send us your um, incense and other uh, peppermints. Incense and peppermints. Send us incense and peppermints. Those are both allowed to be sent in the mail. Do not send us any controlled substances. We. Can't try them for various reasons, no matter how uh, well they've done for you or your um, or your Johns. What would it take, Ken, for you to uh, eat psychedelic mushrooms under controlled circumstances? Oh, almost nothing. Just put them dark chocolate and cover them in dark chocolate. That's all it would take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll eat I'll eat anything with dark chocolate on it. Like I tried the crickets; they were good. They just tasted like dark chocolate. What would what do you think would happen if you and Mindy and I went out to the Oregon coast and I gave you guys psychedelic mushrooms under controlled circumstances? And then you you walk away into the fog. No, and then I just was there to make sure that you you didn't uh, you a, didn't freak out. We, had a, the we ocean. had a good experience. And then you just be there turning over rocks and stuff, looking I, at crap. I think I have a very familiar uh, objection to mind expanding substances. Your mind is already too big. <laughs> yeah, that I'm already too enlightened. Like these would only just hold no. me back. No, what's your? No, it's just the fear of the unknown. Yeah, but you if know, I like, were there and it's the beach, you could be there, and we could do all kinds of like. 
What are you going to do? It's the beach. Like, There's what, no, you can't. You're not going to get into like, an accident. The fact that you're there doesn't guarantee a good time. It certainly <laughs> hasn't today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm going to keep you from having um, from from being in danger. Sure. I would be there to keep you from being in danger, and but then I don't everything like, else. But here's would be, the thing: I don't like weird. Um, I don't like weird sensations in general. Like I don't like it when I'm eating a popsicle and I bite down on the a stick a little too hard. Yeah, that is intense. You know, like so. If I'm somebody like that, the last I don't like getting. I ask for no novocaine when I get my fillings done. What? Yeah, really? Yeah, I don't want my face to be all numb. That feels weird. And then when the feeling comes back later, it also feels weird. But isn't pain also a weird feeling? Uh. Honestly, most if your feel if your fillings are shallow, and I don't have particularly sensitive teeth, but if you have, don't have sensitive teeth and it's a shallow filling, you won't actually feel anything. Wow. Can, this is my life hack. Whoa! Just just say no, Novocaine, Punk. please. <laughs> so, like, I just it's just kind of like the it's like watching a Cronenberg movie every time I have to get a shot of Novocaine at the dentist, and I'm like, nope, no body horror for me. And t- I almost feel like just even microdosing would be the same. Well, no, microdosing. No, okay, not microdosing. It makes you feel like you had an extra coffee. Oh. Well, that sounds good, actually. Well, you've never had a coffee, so you don't know what it is. Right, that's why I'm saying it sounds good. It doesn't <laughs> remind me of anything good. Just in theory, that, that, that would be amazing. Well, what are we, yeah, so what this, I'm saying is I'm too uptight, This honestly. This says here 95... It says right here, Ken, 95% <laughs> of the people... Said that it had a, it changed their life for the better. You're shaking your own notes. You wrote that. <laughs> it says it. Ninety five percent. Honestly, if I were uh, if I were troubled in some way, I think that sounds like a pretty good bet. Honestly, well, but no, but this has nothing to do with troubled. This is these are just normal yeah, but, people. But five, per, like I'm perfectly happy, and five percent of them had a terrible time. Oh, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's what I would. Conclude. Oh, maybe the other five percent were just fine. Yeah, they were just fine. Didn't change it for the better or the worse. No downside. I don't. Rem- I didn't read anyone where anything where somebody was like, no. I- well, some guy ran out of the church saying that uh, uh, the the end of the world was nigh. Yeah, but that sounds incredible. <laughs> he he was having a peak See, day. This is the difference between us. You're like, wait, that substance did what? Sign me up. I mean, that guy Frank Olson in uh, got spiked by the by the CIA and he threw himself out of a window. Let me put it this way. When I'm at dinner and I can tell the table that's had a few cocktails starts to get loud. Yeah. I'm like, Oh no. Oh, I don't like them either, but that's not the same as being on LSD. It's not a party drug. <laughs> You're looking at, at crabs. On I'm the not beach. saying like, it's look like what, a party. Look drug. what God made a little crab, a little crabby. You're saying, <laughs> <laughs> So you would recommend that for for crab appreciation? Well, I I'm crustacean just appreciation. I I would love to be the. I mean, on the one hand, I would love, and on the other hand, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> People just think it's funny when they read, "Ha, huh, look at Cary Grant trying LSD." Whoa. That's what would happen if I dropped acid. People are like, guess who tried drugs? Ken Jennings. Well, nobody. Would, I guess I guess they're for squares now too. Nobody would tell on you. It would just be you and Mindy and the crabs and the seagulls no. and the, the next sun. week on Roderick on the line. There would be there would be seventy minutes of content on this. There'd be <laughs> seventy minutes of uh, here's what Ken said to the crab material. There would be. We're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, what was I doing? The address? Something. PO Box five five seven four. You were like, you know what? This long show isn't long enough. P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington. Please send us your own self-help uh, guides. Mm, look for other futurelings. Uh, recruit them to your weird complex in upstate New York uh, on Facebook and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, if I could encourage you, one rule of thumb that never fails to bring happiness. Mm-hmm. Don't believe John. It's not some weird grain fungus. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not even being mindful of the 
of the nice aroma of coffee or, or whatever it is. Whatever your secular uh, equivalent of religion is. It's it not is, downward dog? It is not any particular yoga asana. Yeah. It is, although those are great for flexibility, mm-hmm, and you'll mm-hmm. pass the president's physical fitness test. Mm-hmm. The secret to lasting happiness is to go to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and show gratitude to the universe for the rambling and uneven content you receive twice a week by signing up as a supporter. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. Come. Has most come soon. I love your new character. <laughs> you love your new character, guy who messes with the outro for no reason. <laughs> Another entry. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.